0: The Mistletoe Margarita, The Scrooge Driver, The North Pole Punch. The holidays call for cocktails, so get everything you'll need for them delivered with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. So what's it gonna be? Classics like Bullet Bourbon, Don Julio Reposado, or Kettle One, or maybe something new. Find it all on Drizzly where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered for any holiday festivity. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's d-r-i-z-l-y.com today. Must be 21+, plus. not available in all locations. Hello and welcome to another On The Verge weekend mailbag episode as we take questions from our Patreon group primarily and then some questions we receive on Twitter and social media as well throughout the week. Giving you a little bit more content over the weekend, a little bit more focus as well on the major league side of things, something we enjoy doing as a lot of these prospects that we've spent the last few years covering are now making a big impact in the major leagues. But let's kick off this weekend's mailbag with a question from ZachAttack8211 on Twitter. Give Zach a follow. Check him out over at the Baltimore Battery as well, writing articles, interviewing prospects, doing a lot of good work over there. Zach asked in a previous episode about outfield prospects and asking us to rank them in order of MLB readiness. And now he's back with some infielders. And he lists Connor Norby, Jordan Westberg, Cesar Pareto, Kobe Mayo, Jackson Holiday and Max Wagner. I think you can put these guys in a pretty interesting order if you like, and I don't think you'd be wrong or crazy, but I'm going to go with Jordan Westberg. Number one, I think that's a pretty obvious answer. Maybe there's something in the, in the data that we can't see that the Orioles want to see improved. For example, I think it was MLB.com or MLB pipeline article recently that highlighted, you know, Colton Cowser's swing and miss numbers against breaking balls, which is pretty high. You know, maybe the organization wants him to feel more comfortable in the outfield first, um, I don't know. I have a hard time believing there's anything major with Westberg, though. So I'll go with number one in terms of MLB readiness. Now, in terms of when and where he gets on this roster, that's an entirely different question that we've talked a lot about. But that's a whole other uh, discussion topic there. But for number two, I'm going to go with Cesar Pareto, actually. Uh, I think Prieto we're seeing in Bowie this season is the type of production that made him one of the more prolific hitters to ever come out of Cuba. And I think the type of player you see in Bowie is the type of player he's going to be in the majors. An aggressive but controlled swinger who doesn't strike out much. He's not going to maintain a 4.8% strikeout rate in the majors, but it could be pretty low. The walk rate's also going to be low, always at you know 5-6% maybe. I know he just hit a grand slam a few days ago, but he's not going to be a power hitter. Probably very rarely a double-digit home run type guy, even if he's an everyday starter somewhere in the majors and likely more of a utility type player whose primary position is second base. I don't love the arm over on the left side of the infield. Maybe he could be an everyday starter right now at second base for a rebuilding ball club. If you know, he's a trade piece at some point in the near future. But I think for who he is and his style of play, he could handle his own in the big leagues right now as a part-time player. So I'm putting pre to number two. Third on this list is where I begin to struggle. Do you think Jackson Holliday is closer to being MLB ready than You know, I think he probably really is, or am I just enamored with this scorching hot start he's off to in high A? He's without a doubt the top prospect in baseball and potentially a superstar superstar in the big leagues, but he's still just 19 years old. And so while I thought about putting him third, I'm going to go with Connor Norby here. He's passing the eye test defensively at second base with a higher grade this year. He's looked good out in left field as well when he's gotten some time out there. The bat hasn't been as hot as last year's, but John Mioley's recent piece over at the Baltimore Banner did a great job of dissecting kind of what each of the top guys in Norfolk are working on and what challenges they're facing. And with Norby, based on the quotes from Norfolk hitting coach Brick Ambler, I think the bat clicks again sometime soon. I'm recording this early Sunday morning. He just had a big day on Saturday. He's had a couple of uh, big spike games over the last week or so. I think it's just going to take some time, and that's okay. He's not Rule 5 eligible this winter, so there's plenty of talent in the major leagues right now. He can take some time to polish up his development in Norfolk if he needs to. Fourth on this list, I'm going to go with Jackson Holliday here. I think the eye at the plate, the swing decisions, the defense at short, the smoothness of his swing, it's all beautiful. You know, Gunnar and Colton Kowser have fantastic eyes at the plate, and I remember being at games when they were in the lower levels of the minors and, and their bats are just different. You could easily see the difference in how these guys attack pitchers versus their teammates. Holiday might be a step above them, to be completely honest. I just think he's 19 years old still in high A. Yes, he needs to be challenged more, but he's still extremely young. So that's why I'm just going to knock him down a little bit on this particular list. Fifth, I'm going to go with Kobe Mayo. Not a knock on him at all either. He's 21 years old, in A, walking 15% of the time, 140 WRC+, on-base percentage hovering around 400. And that's 34, 35 games now into the season. It's been quiet because, maybe because Kirstad's hot start in Bowie, And just this team not playing well overall, but Mayo is having that breakout that we talked about before the season started, just on a quieter note. Last on the list, I'd go Max Wagner. Uh, He's just 21, a cold-weather high school prospect out of Wisconsin who had limited playing time in college and was selected as a draft-eligible sophomore. Had a tough April in high A, but he's on a roll this month in May. But still, he's got a long way to go in his development, but the ceiling is without a doubt deserving of his second round draft selection. So good question. I like this list. I think it could give provide for some interesting conversation as well. Uh, next question here from Twitter. Andy on Twitter asks, will Josh Lester play for the Orioles at all this year or is he mainly a trade bait type of player? Uh, I'd have to say that a lot has to happen and not good things for Josh Lester to play with the Orioles this season. If it's a drastic first base issue, I'm not going to say any names, not going to jinx anything. But I think Leyland Diaz would probably get the call first, but Lester's been playing multiple positions and it's something on a recent game broadcast that was highlighted as a reason why Lester signed with the Orioles over other teams is that the Orioles told him that he was going to learn more positions and be a, a multifaceted player, Lester liked that. And so that's why he joined Baltimore. The desire to be better equipped at multiple positions. I think he probably realizes that could extend his career as well, give him more opportunities. Maybe with other teams as well in future seasons, but I think he's just a really good depth option right now. The power he's showing, I know it's fun. I think he has 12 home runs now, but that's nothing new. He's been doing this in AAA the last couple of seasons. None of his numbers are really anything new, but I do enjoy watching him hit in Norfolk. But if he's in Baltimore's lineup at any point this season, I think a number of very bad things have happened. Uh, Honestly, things I'd prefer not to think about. Uh, Kevin Brown here. Not that Kevin Brown. I think we always have to reference that here. But Kevin Brown from Patreon asks, Favorite location to watch the Orioles at Camden Yards? Personally, it's upper deck behind home plate for me. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I like to be up high behind home plate. I just think it gives you this beautiful view of everything. You also don't get blocked by the taller person in front of you. Like if you're sitting down low. I'm not a fan of sitting in the outfield seats. Third base side always just feels awkward at any ballpark to me. The problem I have, though, is my wife hates sitting up very high at any sporting event because she wants to be as close as possible. I always get stuck behind the 6'8 giant who blocks my view. So I'm with Kevin on this one. Give me the upper deck behind home plate every single night. Uh, Another fun question here from Tony in the Patreon group. and Tony asks, J.O. or Old Bay? Uh, sorry, Tony, but you asked the question on the weekend where the non-Marylander is answering questions, and I actually had to Google what J.O. is. So if I'm if I'm being open and honest here, so I'm gonna go with Old Bay. It's a staple spice in my house. I enjoy it, but I'm a Virginian living up in the mountains, so I'll have to leave this debate up to Zach and Bob on a on a later episode. Uh, to discuss. Uh, Vivek has a a couple questions here, but I'm going to take the college the draft one up first. Vivek says six, seven weeks until the draft. Any names added to the list for the Orioles at 17? I think I mentioned this on the main show before that I had an entire database here of spreadsheets ready to go for the college season. I was fully prepared to take my love of the MLB draft to another level. After having to put anything baseball related that wasn't Orioles minor league baseball, obviously on the back burner while having two kids over the last couple of years, but turns out babies are a lot easier than toddlers toddlers are a nightmare and on top of some other life-changing events going on since the start of baseball season i was not able to devote the time to the draft that i wanted to but i'm actually in the process of working on this again i would love to record kind of a pre-draft show or two over the next few weeks just to kind of highlight mock drafts that come out talking about some some of the potential options for the orioles in greater detail But right now for this weekend, I'll throw out another name that we didn't talk about the other week when we had did a kind of a small mock draft roundup, but a name that I've seen connected to the Orioles here more recently is TCU's third baseman, Braden Taylor. He's a lefty bat, Cape Cod lead success, Big 12 freshman of the year, Team USA experience, good hit tool with some power. I get like Colton Couser-esque vibes just based on my readings about Taylor in terms of He's probably more hit over power, but you make some tweaks and work on some things, and maybe you get 20 plus home runs a season. He has experience at short and second, and he's only 20 years old. I think I'm double checking right now. He actually turns 21 on May 22nd, so Monday. So 21, but still very young. Hit 17 home runs this season so far. 45 walks to 47 strikeouts. He's OPS in over a thousand. Young, above average tools across the board, projectable. Without diving into any bat and ball data at this point, Taylor sticks out as a very Orioles-esque pick for me. Going along with this question, Charles Brown on Twitter asked, draft pick wish and draft pick reality? I think the reality is just based on where guys are going in reputable mock drafts right now. And and it's still very early. It's still only May. But guys, we talked about the other week, Colton Ledbetter out of Mississippi State. Fantastic numbers, a very Orioles-esque pick as well. Brayden Taylor, who I just mentioned, Maryland shortstop Matt Shaw has been a guy that I've been targeting since the beginning of the college season. He's mocked around when the Orioles pick. I think that would be a great story as well to bring him into the organization. Still very early, but I think the Orioles could grab a notable college bat at this spot who still has some clear upside. My draft pick wish, though, remains the same from back in February or March when we first dabbled in draft talk, and it's UVA's Kyle Teal. But I keep seeing more and more hype for him as the season starts to wrap up. Yes, he's a catcher, but He's got a very impressive bat, a lot of experience in the outfield as well. Seen some discussion about playing either corner infield spot or corner outfield spots. I'm not concerned about the defensive position if the bat is as good as his is, which is has been unbelievable, and he's showing even more down the stretch here for UVA as I believe they just clinched the ACC uh, regular season title. So he would be my draft uh, wish there. Uh, David here in Patreon group has a couple of questions. I'll start with this one. With nearly a third of the season completed, which is mind-blowing to believe, the AL East is so hot that last place, Boston Red Sox have a 545 winning percentage, good enough to be first in the AL Central, second in the NL East, and third in both West Divisions. It's not likely that this pace can be kept up by all five teams. Of the five, which teams do you think can sustain this pace, which do you think are mostly likely to fall off, and which are you not convinced on? Either way, yet. Uh, I hate to question them here, but I do wonder about the Rays. I think the Rasmussen and Springs injuries were huge, uh, not only for many of my best ball teams, but for the Tampa Bay Rays. I know they always find guys who can excel on this team, specifically pitching. Tyler Glass now is on the mend, but you know, can you rely on Zach Eflin, Josh Fleming, and Taj Briley to be the workhorses you need through this division for you know, four more months? Again, probably it's stupid of me to question, but if there's another injury that hits this rotation, it's going to be pretty massive for this club. But if they can avoid any more major injuries, make a smart move or two at the deadline, which you know they're going to do. And if Brandon Lau starts hitting as well, I know he's been kind of a weak spot in the lineup, but it's going to be hard to overcome the, the Tampa Bay Rays. I think the Yankees, as much as I hate to say this, will find a way to be right there in the race for an a crown until the very end. Aaron Judge is Aaron Judge. He's doing phenomenal things once again. As much as I hate the Yankees, I can't hate this man. He is a joy to watch. He's an extraordinary talent. If they can get some production out of a healthy Luis Severino, I think he's actually coming back today And when I'm recording this. Maybe something from Carlos Rodon, although nothing positive seems to come out of that camp about Rodon. But if he can be a late-season addition for this team, I think they become more dangerous. The pitching outside of Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez has been good, but you know not great this year. Garrett Cole has obviously been great. But if they can add a healthy Luis Severino, get something out of him, get something like Carlos Rodon, you know they're going to pull something off at the deadline like they always do. This Yankees team becomes uh, definitely more formidable down the stretch. I think the Red Sox crack. That rotation is just not a group that I see potentially taking a jump forward. They rank 26 right now in F4, which is only three spots behind Baltimore. But Grayson has so much more in the tank and has real potential to get a lot better this year. John Means is coming back. And this team can trade for literally whoever they want. Boston's rotation is fragile and much older. The lineup can be dangerous, especially with if young guys like Tristan Casas and Jaron Duran give you big production down the stretch. But can Rafael Devers carry this lineup like Aaron Judge can carry New York's? That I, I don't know. I have questions. I'm just waiting for this Red Sox rotation to completely crumble. Can you really rely on Chris Sale to be healthy for four more months and dominate throughout the AL East? Can Tanner Houck step up and be your ace if that happens? I, I don't I don't believe in this Red Sox team. Now, lastly, Toronto is tough because I actually love this roster. I Every year, I always love Toronto's roster. But looking at some of the numbers here now, I think Chris Bassett may be overperforming a bit. Can you really count on Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi down the stretch? I mean, Barrios, based on recent history, is due for a four-war season. He seems to alternate one war season, then four war season, and this year he would be due to a, a four war season. He's already worth over like one point one one point two 1.2 F war right now, I believe. But when he implodes, it's huge. I think Kikuchi is also overperforming right now as well. You have some lineup pieces that came out blazing hot, but seem to be coming back down to earth a little bit more. I think this team finishes in fourth ahead of Boston, but isn't going to do enough to get ahead of Tampa, New York, or Baltimore, so... Rays, I think, can sustain a good pace. Not the historic pace early on, but a good pace. New York, I think, will maintain and could get better. Baltimore has the potential to add more firepower just internally, not even looking at external trades. Internally, they have some improvements that they're going to make as well. I think Boston falls off, and then Toronto hangs on for much of the year, but eventually falls off would be my predictions there. Ben and the Patreon group. His question is, hypothetically, A's move to Las Vegas. The Rays stay in Tampa. Expansion happens in Nashville and Portland. How do you divide MLB division-wise? Follow the East-West format of NHL and NBA or the eight divisions of the NFL? I kind of like the eight divisions, four in each division idea. Maybe, I don't know, Orioles, Nationals, Pirates, Phillies maybe. I, I would like that division. Uh, winner of each division plus two wild cards get into the playoffs. I really don't have any strong opinions about expansion or realignment. I just think more teams are good set them up however you want, but you know, actually thinking about a little bit more here is seeing how this AL East plays out though, it would be annoying to see, to see a team with you know, an inferior record get into the playoffs because they play in a weak division over that better team, which would make the NBA style better. So truly the best teams do get into the playoffs, but it still only may, and as I just talked about, I, I don't think the AL East teams, all five of these AL East teams stay as hot as they have been all year, so it may not even be an issue. Just. Give me more teams. Make sure the best teams get into the playoffs and let's watch some good baseball. A question here on Twitter from bird's eye view podcast. Shout out to those guys. Give them a follow on Twitter, download their podcast. Make sure you're listening. Whom are you willing to trade for Lucas Giolito? Alito? Uh, I don't do the hypothetical trade scenarios. I stay away from those. I do not enjoy doing those. The response from fans are always the same, but I will say this. I will say that from a prospect standpoint, every single prospect in this organization is tradable I think except Jackson Holiday. So could Giolito be a target for the Orioles? Absolutely. He's having a great year. I think the White Sox pitchers, Giolito and Cease, I talked about this on the last time I did the mailbag episode when somebody asked about potential uh, trade targets for pitchers. Cease is going to be interesting. Do the White Sox decide to just go ahead and tear everything down and trade Cease? Uh, I would take it. Uh, But Giolito is definitely having a great bounce back year. It would be interesting to see if the Orioles are players in that market they can certainly outbid whoever they want i want to combine two questions here because they're about Grayson Rodriguez and pitching development a little bit k swiss on twitter asked us uh, at what point do we begin to worry about grayson and dl worry that grayson and dl just aren't quite as good as we hoped i can't push out memories of previous prospects like bundy Gaussman, Arietta, etc at what point do you anticipate seeing something click for grayson where he can at least avoid some of the big innings we're seeing now. I'm hoping around mid-year. On top of that, Vivek, a Patreon member, asked, uh, and multi-time guest co-host here on the show, Vivek says, would you be able to highlight how starting pitching development takes time? Examples, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Spencer Watkins, even Mitch Keller to kind of quell the Grayson Rodriguez concerns. So to, to K-Swiss's question there first, the deal hall thing is becoming... Personally, I think it's becoming a bit exhausting, if I'm being honest. These guys, as both Grayson and DL were coming up, I firmly believe that Hall's ceiling was higher than Grayson's, but the range of outcomes was much wider for Hall. Grayson had the higher floor, and there was always this big risk that Hall could not pan out. Now at this point, prospect fatigue for me is setting in pretty hard, and it only gets worse when you see the flashes from Hall, and then he starts to make progress, and then there's a setback. Like right now, he was looking better in Norfolk, working deeper into games, lowering the walks, still getting strikeouts, still getting good ground balls, still pitching very well, avoiding a lot of hard contact. But now we're seeing this deloading process, or however the Orioles are describing it. So he can work on making up for training that couldn't be done with his back injury that happened before the season, which they are saying is the reason for this dip in velo. I don't think the door is shut on Hall becoming a good starter in the majors, but he's shown so many good things out of the Major League bullpen that I'd honestly rather they just lean into that at this point. And it's not a failure if Hall turns into a dominant major league reliever. Disappointing, yes, but turning a high school pitching prospect with crazy command and control issues throughout his minor league career, turning him into a valuable arm in the majors, regardless of role, is a success. And the fact that it appears that Grayson could be a good starter uh, lessens that sting a bit more. And if Grayson and Bradish are in your rotation three years from now and Hall is in your bullpen... You've developed at one point. Who were your top three pitching prospects into major leaguers, which would be fantastic. But to transition to Grayson, I think K. Swiss does have a valid concern there when it comes to thinking back to you know Bundy and some other of these former top arms in the system that didn't pan out in Baltimore. Some panned out elsewhere. Some just didn't pan out in general. But I'll say a, a d- few different things first. I think it's become clear that Grayson, for me at least, when Grayson was became. Closer and closer to reaching the major leagues, I became more and more worried as the fears grew bigger and bigger in my mind. What if Grayson fails? A lot is riding on his success and all the doubts and questions came flooding in. But the names rattled off in the question that you mentioned there were all part of our previous era, where we have heard horror story after horror story about the minor leagues and player development under the previous regime. I mean, some guys have come out publicly on podcasts and in interviews Guys like Cody Sedlock and Brian Gonzalez have talked about how you know, the massive injuries went completely undiagnosed and how minor league coaches were so far apart, moving up levels was like moving to entirely different organizations. Brian Gonzalez talking about, and he was you know, with this ball club uh, right up until Michael Elias took over, talking about how you know one day he's getting told to do this, the next day he could be told to do something completely different. Two coaches on the same team changing his mechanics. We've talked a lot about on the show about how this organization is one massive unit now. From the DSL to the majors, all the coaches have their own twists and spins on things, but the overarching player development goals are the same. The lines of communication are open. They listen to players. Dialogue happens on a daily basis. Just as much investment has been put into the men and women leading these prospects on the farm as anything else in the organization. And so all the players we've had on the show rave about it, and I truly believe the people behind the scenes here – don't get enough credit, and that's going to help guys like Grayson Rodriguez. We're going to see the crooked number innings. We're going to see bad starts. He's a rookie in the major leagues. But as long as we see progression over the course of the season, I'm not going to be concerned. We're seeing the lethal changeup. We saw him go 10 scoreless with 15 strikeouts and back-to-back starts against Detroit. I know it's Detroit, whatever, but that's still a major league lineup. And on Saturday, he got out of some jams and looked really good, except for the home run that he gave up later in that outing. But... Five innings, four hits, two runs, one walk, six strikeouts against a division rival. Gives your team a chance to win, which the Orioles ultimately did on Saturday. I don't know exactly when it's going to click for him, and it may not even be this year. But if he can work on that command, we see longer stretches in between those blow-up starts. He gets more comfortable on a major league mound, attacking major league hitters. He's going to be okay. This this unit, this regime that he's grew up in, I know he wasn't a Michael Ash draft pick, but he grew up as a, as a Michael Elias era prospect. He's got a good support system. Guys like Chris Holt, Justin Ramsey down in Norfolk. He's got Adley behind the plate. I'm not concerned about Grayson Rodriguez right now. But to Viv- and to Vivek's point about pitching development, taking time, it's very accurate. You know, I've watched a lot of a name that popped up to me, and I, I looked back at his numbers a little bit because I just watched him yesterday. I watched actually a lot of Logan Gilbert this year, for example. Had a 3.73 FIP. His rookie year was worth 2.2 war across 24 starts. Second year in the majors, last year, FIP dropped to 3.43, was worth 3.2 war. This year, he's got a 2.7 FIP and is already worth 1.7 war. Corbin Burns saw time in the majors for three years and was 26 years old when he had his breakout in 2021. Vivek points out Mitch Keller, he was striking out 7 or 8 per 9 the last two seasons, had a combined 3.3 F4 in 2021 and 2022. This year he's striking out more than 11 per game and is already worth 1.8 war. This could be an entire long podcast episode, but Vivek also makes good points about Orioles' arms specifically, like Kyle Bradish. Michael Ash just talked about this the other day on a broadcast. A lot of other orgs were not believers in Bradish, but the Orioles liked his stuff and thought they could work with him, and now he's showing a lot of promise in the Major League. Spencer Watkins isn't that high-prospect, you know, potential guy, but he had a foot out of the door of baseball. His baseball career was essentially done when the Orioles signed him. A lifetime... Average to below average minor league pitcher. Comes to Baltimore, they make some tweaks. And he was serviceable last year. And now he's a really solid depth option in Norfolk should the Orioles need a starter for a few turns through the rotation. Rodriguez has this stuff. I mentioned he has this fantastic support system with Holt and Ramsey and Adley. He's come up in a new environment. These pitching prospects that are coming up were trained not under the previous regime, but this regime. And they have taken a lot of unknowns in the draft. D3 guys undrafted guys look at noah denoyer for example they've taken a lot of guys and turned them into viable arms up at the AAA level the AA level we haven't seen yet that pitching prospect breakthrough like adley has on the hitting side and like gunner should be doing soon we haven't seen it on the pitching side yet grayson is is number one here i get so it's not proven yet so there are still concerns grayson is still a pitching prospect after all but Enjoy the high points of the season. Keep watching for small improvements along the way. and If he does that, the breakout will come. Maybe it's later this year during the playoff run. Maybe it's next year. I don't know, but you know, Grayson is a different breed, and I really don't have any concerns. David's back with another question here. Again, we're nearly a third of the way through the season. The O's are 28-16. and 16. I believe that record is now uh, different since he asked this question. A couple more wins since then. But second place in the AL East, there are a lot of complaints, worries out there. But obviously, with that record, most of them are just complaining for the sake of complaining. Amen. At this point, what items of this team should be genuine worries when looking at trying to make the playoffs? So I'm honestly not concerned about the lineup. I think people much smarter than I am have talked about Gunner's early season performance and have said they are not concerned at all. So I have no reason to be concerned. He's already starting to turn things around and will only continue to get better and better. There are quality reinforcements in Norfolk right now that you can add. Jordan Westberg, Colton Cowser. Even if Mateo's bat isn't cutting it, you have numerous options you can go to. If there's an injury in the outfield, you have viable replacement options. I think there, there are a lot of young pieces in this lineup who still have much higher ceilings, which is very exciting. And so I'm just not concerned with the lineup at all yes it's not great it's not perfect there are some changes that need to be made you know, runners in scoring positions for instance but let's let's see if these guys can can fix some of these issues as the weather starts to warm up and the season progresses for me it's it's the rotation uh, I'm concerned as we get deeper and deeper into the season what is this rotation going to look like you know Tyler Wells didn't pitch at all in 2019 or 2020 had just 57 innings in 2021 had 103 or so last year. He's already at 52 innings this year. So how high can he go? Grayson is a rookie. Dean Kramer has been up and down this year. And Kyle Bradish has been good, but he's still young. He's still figuring things out. We see him from start to start make some adjustments. He's very good, but he's not proven this proven grizzled veteran yet. Cole Irvin entered the season as one of the two guarantees for the rotation and has already pitched his way to Norfolk, and it seems to be really struggling. I know people are excited about John means coming back, but he's returning from Tommy John surgery. So what are we realistically going to get out of him when he returns? We have a lot of baseball yet to be played. And so when the playoff race intensifies, what will the state of this rotation be? How gassed will the bullpen be in part because of the rotation issues? Like that's my, my biggest genuine concern at this point right now. And it's only late may we'll see how things play out, but I think it's really just the pitching other than that. The bullpen is performing well. They're going to have bad nights. That's what happens in every bullpen with every reliever. this If you just followed along on Twitter, you would think this was a last-place team. You would think this team is competing with the Oakland A's to get it for that 1-1 pick next year. This is one of the best teams in baseball. Just stay off Twitter. Uh, we've got... Let me find my place here. Last question here. Uh, another one from David. David always likes to end this episode with uh, asking for a look ahead to next week's schedule. Uh, The Orioles are off on Monday, so tune in to our live show Monday night. We're going to have an awesome guest that's going to be pre-recorded. He's not going to be live, but we are going to have last year's prized international free agent signing, Luis Almeida, on the show Monday night. Again, that will be pre-recorded so you can listen to the full show uh late monday night or sometime next week but we will go on after that live to finish up uh talk about some big things that happened across the Orioles minor league farm system this past week the orioles off come tune in uh then they travel to new york to take on the yankees where according to fan graphs it looks like it will be garrett cole versus kyle bradish nestor cortez versus tyler wells and clark schmidt versus kyle gibson new york's offense is heavily propped up by aaron judge and anthony rizzo this season even with their big seasons included, the Yankees are an average to well below average offense in most categories. But when you have guys like Anthony Volpe and Glaber Torres getting on base at high clips, this team just connects on that home runs at the right time. The offense can do enough to get you wins. This month has been kind of billed as a brutal month for the Orioles, but they're 4-1 and in series played with a split against the Angels. So 4-1-1 and right now. I'm honestly not going to be terribly disappointed if the offense shows up and these games are competitive against the Yankees but they only get one win. But with Bradish and Wells possibly going up against Cole and Cortez to begin the series, I'd love to see some big performances here and see these guys stack up against each other. The Orioles have a real chance to make a massive statement in this series, but despite what Twitter's going to tell you, going one and two won't be the end of the world. Just don't get swept against the Yankees. But then the Orioles come home for a stretch, including a weekend series against the Rangers. Uh, Texas is 28-17 right now, their first place in the AL West. They do have the second-highest run differential in the AL at plus 98, but they've had a fairly easy schedule this month, a series against the Rockies, A's, Angels. They got a series win over the Mariners, who I don't think are performing out of expectation this season. The only tough series they've had in May is against Atlanta, which they went 1-2 and two in that series, So, just as the Orioles did. Uh, it's far off, but we could possibly see John Gray, Andrew Heaney, and Dane Dunning in this series. I think avoiding Nathan Evaldi would would be nice. He's having a, a really great season. But this lineup is dangerous. Marcus Simeon, Nathaniel Lowe, Josh Young, Dallas Garcia, Jonah Heim, former Orioles catching prospect, they're all playing extremely well. And Corey Seager just returned from the IL, so they get another big weapon back. This Texas lineup ranks second in combined war, second in batting average, second in OBP, fourth in slugging percentage. But the Orioles have already won a series against Texas. They took that series in Texas. You had the Kyle Bradish game where he left early. And Tyler Wells put the team on his back. We saw Grayson's debut, and we saw Kyle Gibson dealing against the Rangers. As long as the Orioles can win at least one of these two series, I think I'm going to be happy. Just don't lose both of these series. You end the month going you 5-2-1 know, and one in series, in a month that a lot of people were just hoping this team could go 500. I think you make a big statement as a ball club. So rest up on Monday, and then let's have a fantastic week. Like I mentioned, come out Monday night with the Orioles off. Watch our show live. If you are not a patron, head over to patreon.com slash on the verge. You can become a patron. Check us out. You get daily podcasts recapping all the action across the Orioles Miley Farm System, a very active WhatsApp group. Ask your questions in the Patreon group. They get answered on this show Our weekend mailbag for sure. If you have questions for next weekend's mailbag, you're listening to Think About, you can DM us at any time email us. Our email is there on our Twitter page as well. Become a patron, join the WhatsApp group, drop your question in there as well. If you're listening to this on Sunday, enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a great week. Go Orioles. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.